Have you heard about the change happening across the U.S.? Christ followers are realizing there's a financial institution that aligns with their Christian values and switching to Christian Community Credit Union. They're America's number one biblical banking institution committed to advancing the gospel and providing members highly competitive offers, including high-yield checking and CD accounts, a 1.5% cash-back credit card, and more. It's time to bank with your values. Join Christian Community Credit Union today. Learn more at joinchristiancommunity.com. That's joinchristiancommunity.com. Membership eligibility required. Each account is insured up to $250,000. This institution is not federally insured. If you have children, you no doubt want them to become faithful followers of Christ. So how exactly do you do that? Hi, I'm Rob West. Whenever you take on an important task, it's vital to have a plan. That's certainly true for raising faithful children. Brian Holtz is here today to help you actively disciple your children in a framework you may not have considered. Then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800 800- Five two five seven thousand. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, our guest Brian Holtz joins us again today. Brian is the incoming CEO of one of our favorite ministries, Compass, Finances God's Way. He's also the author of Financial Discipleship for Families, Intentionally Raising Faithful Children. Brian, great to have you back with us. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be with you again. Brian, you were here last month to talk about this book, and we were barely able to scratch the surface. So perhaps we can pick up the discussion again. I know your goal is to help parents train their children as financial disciples. So let's define that. What is a financial disciple? It's actually exactly what it sounds like. Financial simply meaning that it's relating to money and possessions. And we know a disciple is a person who learns and applies the teachings of Jesus. So a financial disciple is simply someone who learns, applies, and multiplies the Bible's teachings on money and possessions. Now, you write that financial discipleship has five pillars. So why don't we walk through those today? Sure. So the first is ownership. This is the realization that God owns it all. He doesn't just own the 10% of our modern tithe or even the 23 and a third percent of the Old Testament tithe. First Chronicles 29.11 tells us that everything in the heavens and earth is his. And Psalm 24.1 says the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. He was, he is, and he always will be the owner of all things. Next is surrender. So if it's all God's, then what's our part in this thing? Well, we're called to be stewards or managers. 1 Corinthians 4.2 teaches us that it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And being faithful means using all that's been entrusted to us to achieve his goals and to grow his kingdom rather than our own. Next, we come to choice. Choice is where the rubber meets the road. This is about following through with our commitment to handle our finances God's way. My favorite teaching on this comes from Matthew 7, 24 through 27. This is the parable of the wise and foolish builders. In this parable, Jesus confronts us with our tendency to hear what he says, but not actually apply it. If we're to be wise builders, we have to actually do what he's instructed. Next, we go to multiplication. Once we've navigated these tough decisions and chosen to follow God's instruction, we have to share it with others. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. Jesus' vision for us is never to keep it to ourselves. 
We have to put this lamp on a stand for the whole world to see. Finally is eternal focus. And this is a return back to why we do this in the first place. We don't do it for the here and now. Life is so short and eternity is so long. And scripture is clear that what we do here and now will impact our eternity forever. We need to stay focused on the eternal outcomes of our financial decisions here on earth. Mm. Well, those are so important. And I love that you've broken those spiritual components down to how we can really affect financial discipleship in our kids' lives. Uh, But you also write about the importance of using practical opportunities. Uh, Share a few of those with us. Absolutely. Practical opportunities are really about giving our kids and grandkids appropriate chances to put God's financial principles into practice. So, for example, work and income. Have we given our children and grandchildren appropriate responsibilities and rewarded their efforts? Have we given them opportunities to give and to spend? Do our children and grandchildren have financial responsibilities and freedom to make decisions on how to use the money? Planning and budgeting. Have we taught them to count the cost of financial decisions, helping them realize that a decision to buy something today is truly a decision to not buy something tomorrow and accounting for their finances? Do we walk alongside them, helping them remember the financial goals they had set and offering them wise counsel? Studies show that up to 90% of learning is done through personal experience. So we need to give our kids and grandkids practical opportunities to apply God's financial principles. Oh, this is so good. I can't wait for our listeners to get a copy of this. Now, I understand you have a great way for them to do that, right? Absolutely. They can buy Financial Discipleship for Families on our website, compass1.org, the word compass, the number one.org. And if you buy two or more, you get a 33% discount because we want people to read this with a friend, a coworker, anybody they can, because we're all about discipleship. That's great. Brian, thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Rob. That's Brian Holst with Compass Finances God's Way. Stick around. Absolutely free. We know you've learned to be suspicious of those words, but really, you can get biblical financial wisdom delivered to your inbox each week absolutely free. Articles, videos, podcasts, and special offers on biblical resources. Nearly 60,000 people receive our free weekly wisdom email, and you can too. Create your free FaithFi account by going to faithfi.com and click sign up to begin receiving weekly wisdom in your inbox. As 2023 comes to a close, we are thankful for the generous and faithful supporters of FaithFi who believe in the message of financial faithfulness found in God's Word. This season, we want to give back to you. For your support, we'll send you the book Leverage Using Temporal Wealth for Eternal Gain. For just a few more days, you can request your copy with your gift of any amount at faithfi.com. Start the new year by aligning God's purposes with your finances. That's faithfi.com. Welcome back. This is Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls today, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. By the way, you don't have to call. Just send an email, askrob at faithfi.com. That's askrob at faith, the letters F-I dot com. Uh, to Birmingham. Hey, Matt, go ahead. Hey, I am uh, 66, almost 66 and a half. I'm looking at retiring in the end of 2024 at 67 and a half. I have a mortgage that I owe about $161,000 $161, on. Um, and I have 
I have all my bases covered, um, but I have an account that I have about $127,000 in that I am planning to use to pay off the house um, at the end of 2024. Now, my question is, I got in a debate with some people. My house mortgage is at 3.5% interest rate. And the one to one hundred twenty-seven thousand is drawn uh, almost five percent. Well, four four point three zero. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to each month put make sure I get fifteen hundred dollars of principal towards the house and fifteen hundred dollars going into the savings account. Yeah. Is that the way I should do it, or should I just put a whole bunch on the house or? Put it all in savings. Yeah, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here, and I don't think this is purely a math equation either, you know, because there's there's more to you paying off your house than just whether or not you can make more money elsewhere. There's the the peace of mind. uh, There's the uh, ability to be completely unencumbered, which gives you more flexibility to follow the leading of the Lord. There's, you know, less need then for income, which might free you up to do some things you might not otherwise do. Uh, you may have a conviction from the Lord to be debt-free, and if so, I wouldn't look back. I would follow that conviction. Now, if you're saying, no, I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't feel like the Lord is telling me to get out of debt. I just want to do the thing that makes the most sense on paper, um, and, and I want to kind of push these non-financial considerations aside. Well, then certainly you could make the case that, you know, you're making a little bit more outside of that in essentially a risk-free investment. I mean, you will have to factor in the taxes on that interest. Um, and, and you may, it may end up being a wash or close to it. And then in that case, I would probably just go ahead and pay off the house and be done with it. Um, but keep in mind, these interest rates where they are, aren't going to last forever on CDs and high yield savings, because as the economy slows and stalls, eventually the Fed's going to have to lower rates and then they won't be available any longer. So at that point, you probably certainly would. Now, some will say, well, you should go invest this money in the stock market and over, you know, a five or 10 year period, you should by far outperform that interest on the home. And I would say, yeah, in a typical decade, you should, if you, you know, choose high quality investments and you have the right strategy, but A, you're adding risk to the equation and B, you know, you're potentially missing the non-financial piece of this equation, which are the items I mentioned a moment ago, but give me your thoughts on all that. Oh, I, I like the way you think. I didn't think about the tax ramifications on the interest. Um, I am debt-free, other or we are, my wife and I, other than the house. So yeah. um, I feel very, very strong and adamant about reti- not retiring until the house is paid off on okay. zero debt. Well, then I, I think you've got your answer, despite what your friends and your brother-in-law and everybody else say. I'm joking there. and It may not be your brother-in-law, but despite what anybody else says, I think you've got your answer there, Matt. And here's what I can tell you. In all the time, years I've been doing this and the thousands of calls that I've taken, I've never had anybody that called me and said, I paid off my house last year and I've regretted it ever since. Never. Once. So you go do that. Focus on paying off that house and and then go find God's calling for the next chapter of your life. All right. Amen. Thank you. All right. God bless you. Uh, Andrea, thank you for calling. How can I help? Yes, I was just calling to, I'm going into a new chapter in my life. Um, My son is going off to college. Um, He's 18 in November. I'm a single mom, teacher, um, been teaching for 27 years. And um, 
want to retire at some point, <laughs> but sure. I'm trying to figure out, um, I've got a new less income coming in, coming in November. Um, when he turns 18, um, his grandfather's helped me through the years. Okay. Um, yes. and so he's not going to be paying after November. My son will be moving out. Um, but I'm trying to figure out, I've got about $10,000 in credit card debt. And, um, I know that's not horrible, but I just don't want to continue with the same pattern and continue going higher. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, should I take the credit card offer or put it back in, like get a home equity line? I don't know how to work it. So I just want sure. to ask you all. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you did. And I, I think, you know, it's really important to go into this next season with a plan. And I totally agree. I'd love for you to be out from under that just so that, you know, lessens the burden on your monthly finances, but also just get out from under that interest, especially now with the average credit card interest rate north of 20%. Um, this is, you know, going to add a lot in the way of interest. Um, my preferred approach on this, Andrea, is uh, is what's called debt management. So generally, the rule of thumb is if you have less than 4000 in total credit card debt, you can probably just do it yourself and what I call snowballing the debt. It's a pretty common term, but essentially it means you line them up from smallest to largest balance, cut back wherever you can to free up as much margin each month as possible. And I realize, you know, that's not easy to do on a, on a limited income, but you try to free up, let's say a couple hundred dollars a month, whatever you can, you pay the minimums on all of them. And then you start with the smallest balance and go smallest to largest. And the, the thing that really be, makes that so effective is when you start with those smaller balances, you can usually knock off one or two of them in a few months or less than a year, which gives you the motivation to keep going. And the best plan is the plan that you'll ultimately complete uh, and get out of debt once and for all. But when you get beyond 4,000, it becomes problematic and costly to do it, especially with these high interest rates. So debt management is the, the way I would go then. And essentially what happens is there are pre-negotiated lower interest rates through what's called a credit counseling program or debt management. So every creditor has their credit counseling rate, and it's going to be something significantly lower than today. You might be paying 20 now, and in credit counseling, you might get 8 or 9 or 11% interest. So what happens is uh, you pay one monthly payment, probably around 3% of the total balance, so about 300 a month, uh, to the credit counseling agency. And then they distribute it to your creditors. So they don't pay off the debt with a new loan or anything like that. It stays right where it is. But with the combination of this level monthly payment every month and these reduced interest rates, it allows you to get out of debt on average 80% faster. And um, our friends at ChristianCreditCounselors.org have worked with hundreds and hundreds of our listeners, Adrea, and uh, we've never had anybody say it wasn't a great experience. I mean, they're believers. They'll help you with your budget, and they'll get you set up on the program, and then you just make that one payment every month. And then once you're out of debt, the key is to keep your lifestyle right where it is and then redirect that money to other priorities aligned with your values. Does that make sense, though? It does, but um, I've got it all with one credit card, and okay. it's at a pretty good rate. Um, it's okay. just that I don't make enough to, um, like, if I'm kind of like a, a month behind in yeah. income. What is that okay, interest rate? It's at 11. Okay, and is that temporary or is that permanent? It's been permanent. I mean, I've, it's gone up some since, you know, yeah. everything's gone up, but... 
Um, it's okay. not near as high as others. So yeah. I would check with them to see if you could get it down. If not, then you could just leave it right there. And then the key is just to try to keep your expenses as low as possible. Let's do this. I've got to take a quick break, but you and I will finish up off the air. We'll be right back. My grocery bill went up 11% this year. Gas, utilities, rent all went up. But my paycheck, the same. I also pay for my own health care, a huge expense. A friend recommended Christian Healthcare Ministries as an option to insurance, and CHM helps pay for medical needs while allowing some breathing room in my budget. Open enrollment is here, so make the switch today with potential cost savings up to 40%. Christian Healthcare Ministries at chministries.org slash faithby. We're grateful for support from Movement Mortgage, who provides residential home loans in all 50 states. Guided by a mission to love and value people and a goal to redefine the mortgage process, Movement seeks to help others achieve their financial goals. You can find out more at movement.com slash faith. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity, NMLS number 39179. For licensing information, please visit nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm your host, Rob West. The number to call is 800-525-7000. I'm looking forward to hearing from you as we take your calls and questions from across the country. In fact, let's head out to Missouri. Hi, David. Go ahead. Uh, yes, sir. Um, I uh, The company I work for was just recently sold. And yeah. um, so I have a 401k that I have a few options. Um, I can roll it over into the the uh, new company's 401k, I can roll it over to an IRA or, or I can take the money with the penalties. Obviously, I don't want to take the money with the penalties, but yeah. um, I w- my question was whether or not the IRA is a better choice or the 401k. Yeah, it's a good question. How much is in that 401k, do you know? Uh, about 140000 Okay. Yeah. So it's a significant sum. Um, you know, you could do either. I kind of like the idea, you know, with that amount of money of rolling it to an IRA, it gives you a lot more flexibility in the investments that are selected, but I would probably use an advisor to manage it just because it is a lot of money and having somebody that really has the time and expertise to build and manage the portfolio based on your values and, and goals, I think would be great. Um, do you have an advisor that you've worked with in the past? I don't. And uh, listening to your show, you've talked about the kingdom builders, and I, I so I, yeah. I will uh, uh, approach it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a certified kingdom advisor, a CKA, and there's about 1,400 of them around the country. And so you could go to our website, faithfi.com, faithfi.com, click find a CKA, and I'd interview two or three. That would be one option. And again, that's going to give you the most flexibility in terms of how the portfolio is built, because essentially you can invest in anything. Uh, and through a self-directed IRA, you could even invest it in real estate or any number of, of asset classes. But even if you just want a traditional stock and bond portfolio, then this person could manage it for you. The other option is is the more simple approach, which is just roll it into that 401k with your new employer and then just put it into whatever 
you know, of the menu of choices you would have selected or you will select for your new contributions moving forward. And then once you're ready to retire, uh, you could and separate from the company, then you could roll the whole thing out and get an advisor at that point. But I think you've got enough built up that it's probably worth considering going ahead and getting an advisor right now. And then perhaps you could do some retirement planning at the same time. Okay, that'd be great. All right. Yeah, cool. Uh, faithfi.com. Just click find a CKA. David, thank you for calling. Uh, to Plainfield, Illinois. Hi, Agnes. Go ahead. Yes, uh, thank you, Bob. Uh, first of all, uh, what is your take on uh, leasing a car or buying a car? My daughter has just graduated, and uh, I've always, always talked of buying a car, not leasing. So she agreed to it, but the thing is that the high interest rate is going to drag her. So, and I have some money I put aside for a car, but now I don't need to buy a car anymore. So I wanted to use it to buy the car for her, and then whatever she can pay uh, monthly, instead of paying it to somebody else with high interest rate, she can send it to me. And uh, even if she doesn't want to send it, that's fine. But my question is, how do I do it? Do I buy the car in my name and her name? or I buy it in my name, or in her name. So what is your best thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah, how do you want this to be structured when it's all said and done? You you want her eventually to be the owner of the car. You just want her to be able to pay you, uh, essentially buy it from you with you being the financing for it, and then charge her a, a more reasonable interest rate. Is that right? Yeah, uh, not charging. She can pay whatever she can pay, just so because the high interest rate that given to her, I would drain her, and uh, I don't want to. She's a, a, a fresh starter. She just finished school. She had a job, yeah, but I would yeah. just want to help her. And yeah. then uh, uh, do I buy the car in my name or buy it with her name, and then yeah. eventually transfer it to her, or what do yeah. you suggest? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think the, if, if you're wanting to purchase it and then let her buy it over time, I mean, typically what you would do is you would purchase the car and then essentially you would enter in an agreement with her to sell it to her, but you would do owner financing where you have a written agreement between the two of you. You have a fixed repayment schedule and a, a minimum interest rate. Um, and the IRS publishes the acceptable interest rate. So you'd want to work with a, you know, probably a, a, your CPA to uh, put all of that in place. And then eventually she would pay you those monthly payments based on that repayment schedule that you come up with. And then, you know, eventually she'd own the car and take title to it. But until then, it would be yours. And then, you know, she would have to pay you out. The only consideration there is just the potential for the relational damage if she got into a place where she couldn't afford to pay it anymore. But it sounds like, Agnes, that you're willing to give this to her if you had to, or if she was unable to pay, you would be okay with that. Is that right? Is that what I'm yes. hearing? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm okay with that, but I already, uh, do I have to go into all these uh, uh, contracts, uh, signing and everything? That's fine. If you can't pay in the future, that's fine. 
Yeah, I mean, otherwise you'd make it a gift to her, and then you'd have to let the IRS know that you did that. Um, and you, it's not taxable, but it would be a gift because if you're charging, if you're just giving her an asset that you purchased, or you're not charging the minimum interest rate that they expect for a loan, then they're going to consider that a gift, and you're going to need to tell them that you're making the gift. And so that's why it's better for you to go ahead and buy it. Now you're the owner. And then you come up with a written agreement and a fixed repayment schedule and a minimum interest rate that fits her budget, but that's more reasonable than she'd get on the open market right now with, with conventional rates being higher. So what I would probably do is contact the CPA, a certified public accountant, let them know what you're trying to do, and they can help you come up with that agreement, the fixed payment schedule. They'll tell you what the minimum interest rate is, and then you could essentially buy the car and then sell it to your grant, your daughter over time, but do it in a way that fits within her budget. Just recognize that whenever you become a lender, it changes the relationship. So you just want to be careful with that. Thanks for your call. Uh, to Waterford, Michigan. Hi, Paul. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm calling about uh, a cemetery plot that uh, I purchased back in the early, mid-80s. Um, I wondered when I want to sell it, and I'm thinking, do I have to? I'm wondering, do I have to pay capital gain tax, or would that be just under income, like under a regular income tax? Uh, are you selling it for more than you paid for it? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that would be considered a capital asset, um, and so it would go on your. Uh, you know, on your tax return as a capital gain. I'd talk to your CPA about that. You know, that would be reported on Schedule D as a as a capital gain uh, on your 1040. Okay, thank you. All right. Thanks for your call, Paul. We appreciate it. I hope you'll make plans to join us again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.